For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Into our hearts, into our hearts, come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. As always, it is my prayer that you will be blessed both by the Word and the music. So you hear now, please, the reading from God's Word. I'm reading from Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Anas and Caiaphas, the Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough always made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. 
O Lord, which are thy strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Not long ago, I had the opportunity of speaking to a group of people on the subject of leadership. After the message, there was a time of question and answers. One of the questions that was asked of me was this one. Do you think we have good or bad political and religious leadership in our country today? Talking about a loaded question, that was about as loaded as you can get. And yet I gave this answer. I said, probably both. I said, there's probably some noble political and religious leadership in our country today, and there is some that's not so noble. And our perceived notions will have a lot to do with that according to our own wishes and whims. Edward Everett Hale, who was chaplain of the United States Senate from 1903 to 1909, was asked this question. Chaplain Hale, do you pray for the senators? Chaplain Hale said, no, I look at the senators and pray for the nation. Now, if I were asked that question about the leadership, both political and religious, of Jesus' day, I would answer it differently. I would say it was terrible leadership. And we can see some examples of that in our own scripture lesson in this text today. For the most part, that leadership was terrible. Let's look at it. There was the Emperor Tiberius, stepson of Augustus Caesar. He was a horrible kind of a fellow. As a matter of fact, he was a bad apple. He was so bad that his Roman cronies wouldn't have liked him either. He was so filled with treachery that he worked out treason trials to take care of the people that he didn't like. And then there was Pontius Pilate. You remember Pontius Pilate. He rose from the middle obscurity of middle management to becoming the chief administrator of Judea in 26 A.D. He was a kind of guy that played all ends against the middle. He cheated his Roman bosses. He was mean to his Judean citizens. What he did from time to time, he just got the troops to persecute the citizens for no reason. He was feared, greatly feared, and hated. And then, of course, there was Herod. Herod, what a character he was. If he had been met by Will Rogers, Will Rogers wouldn't have liked him either. He was insane, and he was crazy. As a matter of fact, he was declared king of the Jews by the Romans, and so consequently, he would eliminate everybody who opposed him. He was so obscene and so crazy that he even killed one of his wives and two of his sons because he thought they were plotting against him. Well, there you have the political leadership, Tiberius and Pilate and Herod. All of these people were cruel people who didn't care much for humankind. And then what about the religious leadership of the day? It wasn't much better. There was Ananias, the high priest. Ananias was simply a lackey of the Roman Empire. That's all he was, a lackey. He conveniently turned his way from the moral degradation of his day. He surrendered his prophetic rights. But there was one thing Ananias did well. He got five of his sons and his son-in-law Caiaphas appointed to the priesthood. He essentially gave up the integrity of the religious establishment. So if we're looking back in the first century, both to the political and religious leadership of the time, it was the worst of times. It looked like bad, all bad, and that's the way it was going to be. There was no profit for centuries, for centuries, and there didn't seem to be any profit on the horizon. As far as the people were concerned, it looked like the light at the end of the tunnel had been turned off. But it was into the midst of all of this bad and sad that God sent his most miraculous gift, the gift of his son. 
Jim Moore, who's now a retired minister and author, he told about one of his friends who was a person who had been in a Vietnam prison camp for over two years. His friend said it was a dehumanizing, horrible, degrading experience. He said they could take away his freedom. They could take away his American friends. They could take away his food. They could take away his dignity. But he said the one thing they couldn't take away was his Savior, his Savior, the one who brought the presence of God into his life. And so I say again, it was into the midst of all this bad and sad that God sent his most miraculous gift, the gift of Jesus Christ. Now at Christmas time, we're not only thinking about the gifts we give to one another, we're thinking about the gifts that God has given to us. So what are some of the gifts that God has given to us through the Christmas story? The first gift is the gift of Jesus, which is the hope of the world. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, he said, we should abound in hope. Really? Do we agree with that? Hope in this day and time? Whenever we turn on a newscast, what do we find out? We find out how bad everything is in the world. Justice is still an elusive quality for many, many people. People are angrier than they've ever been. There's wars and rumors of wars all over the headlines. Hunger stalks this planet. Drugs and crime are everywhere. What I'm trying to say to you is it's very difficult to have hope in this day and time. But we have to remember it is our world, our responsibility, and we better have hope in it. So consequently, it behooves all of us during this Advent Christmas season to hear a fresh word of hope, a fresh word of hope. So let us hear again the blessed song of the angels in the world as it was, not a make-believe world, but in the world as it was, a world of sadness and despair, a world of horrible going on no matter what. The angel from God said to the shepherds, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The good news of hope is that the Savior has been born, and we remember the promises he's made to us. One of the promises was that he would make all things new, and that includes us as well. He'll make all things new. Another promise was that while we may have trouble in the world, be of good cheer, we are told and urged, because he has overcome the world. Another promise was that no matter how things are going, good or bad, he's promised to be with us. He'll never desert us. Another promise was he'll give us peace, not as the world gives, a kind of peace that's going to disappear and dissipate, but he'll give us a kind of peace that's going to be a permanent peace and that we'll never lose that peace. Joseph Fort Newton once said of Christmas, for the first time humankind was glad about God. In his spiritual autobiography, Robert McAfee Brown said, there we all are gathered around the manger on Christmas Eve, putting the animals and the shepherds and the wise men around the child who is a small center of sanity in a large and crazy world. That is absolutely beautiful. A small center of sanity in a large and crazy world. A few years ago, I participated in a Methodist Millennial Conference. The theme of that conference was Jesus Christ, the hope of the new millennium. How very appropriate. Here's what one of the speakers said at that conference. One thing I know, when the clock ticks into the new millennium, the God who has been faithful will be there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You cannot outlive him, and you cannot live without him. Centuries ago, under the starry sky, a prophet raised his voice and he said, Oh God, is there any hope? 
And the voice came back, yes, Micah, there's hope. But when and where, cried the prophet, back came the answer in Bethlehem. So from that point on, Bethlehem became the symbol of hope, not only for the ancient Jews, but for all humankind as well. Beloved, that star in the sky is marking the way. It's not only geographically, but spiritually in vogue. It was a dark night. The end was filled. But Christmas was God's time. Christmas was God's affair. Nobody was going to stop it, and nobody is going to stop it. So sometimes we ask ourselves, we can't do very little to help with God's cause in the world. We can hardly do anything to advance the reign of God. Don't kid yourself. We can do a lot of things. The first thing we need to do, though, is to accept God's gift of Christ into our hearts, which is, in fact, the hope of the world. The hope of the world. And then secondly, secondly, the second Christmas gift is the gift of Mary and Joseph sensitivity. Little Johnny was asked what he wanted for Christmas. He answered, a baby sister. And by a sudden set of circumstances, his mother was taken to the hospital just prior to Christmas, and a baby girl was delivered. The next year, he was asked what he wanted for Christmas, and this time he replied, I'd like a Shetland pony if it wouldn't be too hard on mother. You see, he was very sensitive. There was a man said, a psychologist, that the way to get through Christmas is just to put your head down and go where you're shoved. Now, he was only joking about that, but we know there's truth to it. When you look at the Christmas rush, the hectic traffic, the frayed nerves, and all of that, some people become desensitized. They become unresponsive to the season. At this point, we need to learn from Mary and Joseph. Who was Mary? What kind of person was she? We're told she was a direct descendant of King David. Her parents, according to tradition, Joachim and Hannah, were religious people. So Mary was brought up in the faith of her fathers. She was very sensitive to God's call and God's voice. When she was asked about the plan of God for her life, she said, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Do with me whatever you will. Do you know the word handmaid in Greek translates into a woman's slave? In other words, God's will was her will. God's purposes were her purposes. She was sensitive. That was her greatest gift. And then we also know in the story of Christmas, there's the story of Joseph. Mary was engaged to Joseph. When Joseph heard Mary had a child and it was not his child, he refused to let her be put to shame. The scripture says he was a just man and he refused to let her be publicly blamed. And when God told Joseph what the plan was, that she was carrying God's child, then Joseph himself was very much in agreement. He was very sensitive to God's purposes as well. Now, what I want you to listen is this. Joseph and Mary were both sensitive, very sensitive. That's the reason God chose them to parent his child. And so a family gathers on Christmas Eve. This family has a reunion. Boy, everything is going great. They have a lot of games being played. They're watching television. Football is on. A lot of noise, a lot of conversations. They're in line for lunch. But then all of a sudden, a baby cries. Nobody hears the baby because everybody is involved in the commotion except the baby's mother. The mother is attuned to the baby. Consequently, she hears the baby's mother is sensitive. I read a story about a little boy who was asked to play the innkeeper in the Christmas pageant. He came from a very hospitable family, and he didn't know what it was to turn people away. And he cried every time he had to say to Mary and Joseph, there's no room in the inn. Well, the teacher tried to explain to him that the innkeeper wasn't bad. There was simply no room. 
So the night of the play opened, the church was packed. Suddenly the person knocked on the door. Mary and Joseph knocked on the door. When the door was opened, the small innkeeper said, I'm so sorry, there's no room for you in the inn. But then in the last minute ditch of, of being sensitive, he shouted out, but won't you come in for a cup of coffee? You see, beloved, it's our sensitivity that will enable Christmas to mean a lot to us. And then the third gift of Christmas comes from the shepherds. I'm talking about expectation and all. I want you to listen to this letter. Charlie Brown was writing a letter to Santa Claus, and this is what he says. Dear Santa Claus, how have you been? Please don't get the idea I'm writing because I want something. Nothing could be further from the truth. I want nothing. If you want to skip our house this year, you go right ahead. I won't be offended. Really, I won't. Spend your time elsewhere. Don't bother with me. I really mean that. Lucy grabbed that piece of paper and started reading. She said, what in the world kind of letter is this? Charlie grabbed it back and said, I'm hoping he'll find my attitude peculiarly refreshing. You see, he had much expectation and hope. Here's the picture. Here are these common shepherds out on the hillside. They're tending their sheep. They're supporting their families. But suddenly something extraordinary happens in their ordinary experience. The angels appear and tell them about a Messiah, a baby born. So what do they do? In excitement and expectation, they head off to find the baby. Now, one of the things these shepherds bring to the baby is expectation and awe. That's something we ourselves should want to be bringing this Christmas. The story is told that there was a group of carolers, students from Princeton University. They went out caroling, and they went to Albert Einstein's house, this great physicist. When they were doing the second carol, he suddenly opened the door and came out and started playing the violin and keeping up with their carols. Here's a beautiful word picture for you. Here we have the smartest man probably of the 20th century. This particular man was out there, and he was being drawn by simple carolers. That is a great, great story. The other night, my wife and I were watching a, a movie, and it was called The Christmas Story, Christmas Day. Well, in the process, there was a, a daughter brought her son to see an estranged father. And while they were talking about Christmas, he said, Christmas is full of wonder, and that's the way it should always be. So right he was. Another man said, you know, I came to this church and I stay a part of this church because I get the feeling here as nowhere else that something is about to happen. So when we come to Christmas, we bring our expectation and our awe, and we begin to understand the meaning of Christmas and the joy of life. And then the fourth Christmas gift is the gift of the wise men, the gift of the wise men, the gift of the very best. Contrary to our nativity scenes, the wise men never made it to the Bethlehem manger. The wise men only made it after Mary and Joseph and the baby had gone back home to Nazareth. But let me tell you, they brought with them the finest things they knew, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They give us a great message. God wants us to bring the best things we have to him and his purposes. I'm talking about our spirit and our devotion and our priority. I used to have a bishop that said this, bring the best you have to the highest you know. Well, how do we do that? First of all, we repent of our sins. It's very hard to live our lives at their best when we're clinging to our worst. Second, rely upon God. Rely upon God. Sooner or later, all of us are going to come to realize that life is a big battle that's too much for us by ourselves. 
We need God and we need His Word. And then we can come with great passion in our discipleship. And that always includes others. We can be zealous for our faith. Rick Warren was once talking to Peter Drucker, this great Renaissance man, this father of modern machinery and this very intelligent man of the 20th century. And he asked him, he said, how did you ever accept Jesus Christ? Peter Drucker said this. Peter Drucker said, when I finally realized what grace was, I knew I would never get a better deal than this. So let me ask you again, what are the gifts that God gives us through the Christmas story? The Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of hope. Mary and Joseph, the gift of sensitivity. The shepherds, the gift of expectation and awe. And the wise men, the gift of our very best. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, we are so thankful for this Christmas season. We are so grateful for your love for us demonstrated in the coming of Christ. We ask now, God, you'd help us to respond, to respond in grace and strength and willingness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me say a word before I conclude tonight. We have been asking people to join us in prayer and financial support, and many of you have. And I just wanted to offer thanks to you for your prayers. We know that if anything ever happens in this ministry or any other, it's going to be through the experience of prayer. We also appreciate your financial support, so thank you very much, and have a great evening. Good night. Chain
说。